Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. On the show this week, episode 179, my good friend, colleague, and Full Voice team member, Mim Adams, and I are talking all about listening skills, helping our singers with ear training, singing harmonies, singing in tune, finding their note. Lots of teacher takeaways on this episode of the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome to our show. My friend, I am so glad you are here. We are talking. I'm going to be bringing on my my dear friend, Mim, in just a second. Before I do, I want to let you know that we have released our Songs and Studies Introductory B book. It is now available on our website, on Amazon, and if you're working with Littles, I want you to check it out. These books are crafted for the young singer just getting started in lessons, and they are developing those foundational music skills. That is what our podcast show is about today. Now, if you're not using our resources, I guarantee there's tons of teacher takeaways in this episode. Mim and I and the Full Voice team, we talk about these types of skills and activities all the time. It's all we do. And I know that you're going to have some wonderful teacher takeaways that you can take back to your studio and use no matter what resources use. So without further ado, my good friend, Mim Adams. Welcome back to the podcast, my dearest all-time friend and colleague, Mim Adams. How are you? Woohoo! <laughs> I'm really good. I was just imagining the confetti popping out of the confetti thingy. <laughs> so thank you for that great introduction, Nikki. I wish um, I had confetti for I'm you. Sure. I don't. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Well, I'm sure our audience feels the confetti every time you start a podcast. It's <laughs> I don't know if my husband feels the confetti every time he has to edit and put together the podcast. So shout out to Sean, who has to endure listening to me talk to my friends and colleagues and then put it together in a way that works. Um, so Amazing. Thank you, Sean. Uh, so for, for friends that are listening, Mim is part of the Full Voice team, and Mim has been part of the Full Voice team since the very beginning. Do you remember mm-hmm. the day we met at Long and McQuaid? I do, although I might be mixing up the day we had a meeting in a lesson room discussing, like you asking me questions about my opinions on teaching voice. <laughs> maybe we met before that officially. I, uh, I, I don't remember the interview, but I do remember us talking in the hall. (gasps) Like we were wait, we were both waiting for students that had not arrived for their lessons and we were commiserating how challenging it was to teach voice. I think back then both of us were teaching piano as well. And it was so much easier, even though, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but I am not a piano teacher, but I found those piano lessons quite, quite enjoyable and the the voice lessons not. And I remember us commiserating how, how Uh hard it was. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Cool. So I don't remember that, but I do remember our interview about the, the detail work about it, right? Because you were really starting to develop all the materials and stuff. And yeah, so that's cool. In fact, it's kind of interesting that like memory, what different individuals remember, especially when you're talking 15 to 20 years ago. A long time ago. Um, and I can't help thinking what a great segue that is into our podcast topic. <laughs> Do you hear what I hear? Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> so... Do you re- so- I remember? Not quite. No, I don't remember what you remember, and I certainly don't hear what you hear. So Mim and I were talking the other day about ear training, and uh, we've been working on our songs and studies, 
And whenever we work on a project, we always do a lot of testing. So uh, first, I do want to shout out to Christine Keen in Alaska, who uh, had some fun with the forest song adventures, which is a composing exercise for little ones. And we sent that to her because she was doing a forest theme with her kiddos. So I said, hey, do you want to try this forest themed songwriting exercise and she did and she had a great great time and she gave us some great feedback but um, we've been working on we've been working on our songs and studies and we've been working on activities and then we had this big long conversation as we always do about ear training about that inner audiation and that hearing things before you sing them. And we we were laughing and we were like, this should be a podcast because this is something that we deal with all mm-hmm. the time in our studios. And mm-hmm. and the reason that I, I, I wanted to call this podcast, Do You Hear What I Hear? Probably not, is because we don't. Like, we don't <laughs> hear the same things. And we all relate. Totally. We all relate to sound and our voices and our instruments completely differently. And if you don't recognize that, it's really hard to work with someone who's experiencing yeah. things very different than you are. Well, uh, so true. And like, it's, it's real. it's become really apparent me to me. This is the, the concept of the curse of knowledge. When mm. I'm working with my students, with my choirs, And I'm like, you know, we're taking the time, we're working on a part or something like that. I know that my brain is buzzing with how to find the next note. Like I'm reading along with the music, checking to Mm -hmm. see, are they singing their lines correctly? Yes, no, yes. And I'm totally just like hearing all kinds of things in my head that comes from my years of experience of having to do that. Whereas I am fully conscious that it's probable they're not doing that same thing. Like their approach is from a place that is not the same place as mine. And so um, it's, it's just so exciting to work. Like it's exciting to work with people of all ages that have these different levels of experience. But when we work with someone that we know is a total beginner, you know, like a small child, like it's great to have that blank slate to begin developing these concepts with and in yeah. a way that you don't have to say, this is the concept we're developing, you know, like right. adults, you got to explain every single thing and then it'll be like, but what about this way? And you're like, well, that way could work too. You know, like, so it's, it's interesting, but yeah, just that idea that I hear all kinds of things. Right. I'll bet you my student is not hearing the same things. And that's the difference between me being able to just sing the line real easy and them struggling with the line. So yeah the topic we need to address it I, I and I'm so glad because you know if there's teachers out there and I know there's teachers out there right now who are preparing students for exams and you're trying to drill in those intervals and you you know and some students you know over the years I've had some students you know we find what works for them and they they get better and better at it but I've also had those students who have just like it's really challenging. And then on top of that, in a high pressure situation, like an exam and or, or an audition, you know, and like y- y- the adrenaline is running through your body and you're nervous. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then you have to try and hear an interval or sing an interval. It's, it's challenging. So you yeah. want to have, you want to have as many strategies as possible. And I always, yeah. I always, I always challenge teachers. Like if, you will, you need to have a large teaching toolbox and it cannot just be filled with the things that work for you. Yeah, 100%. Um, I do have to say, I hope that by the time a student is actually performing their song in an exam, that they're no longer still learning their piece in such a way that requires a ton of like inner audition singing to get <laughs> right? your note. I hope by then we've reached the final step was simply knowing what it is because of repetition and comfort. <laughs> you hope, but, yes. Uh, I hope, I hope. Yeah. And so yeah. we hope that for all of our students, but we all know what it's really like. So, And it's not the teacher's fault. Uh, <laughs> I, students don't practice. <laughs> I know, I know that. Oh, Exams were always so s- stressful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, we can set up our small students from the beginning so that they're better at this skill. And then teachers have better lives because their students are just more comfortable with the concept of 
finding a note out of what seems like thin air. Mm -hmm. I love that. One of my favorite activities, and I... I learned this when I did my Kadai training and also Donna Rodenizer has given me several fabulous little exercises, um, is the, the activities for the little littles just getting started. So this would be like, you know, probably grade one, kindergarten, grade one, grade two is the, um, the internalizing the song so you take uh, you take a very well known song. This isn't going to be a song that they've just learned, but maybe it's a folk song or a rhyme or something that they're very familiar with, and you get them to sing part of it. But the it, like so maybe you play the music for them, and then you ask them to stop singing, but they're still listening to the music. And then you ask them to sing again. So they have to basically keep that song going in their head. Mm-hmm. And then they have to know, okay, now we're on this line or this word or this verse. And boy, that is a game changer. The first couple yeah. of times you do that with students, I love, I love watching them. They make me, they make me smile. The first time you do it, they're like looking around, you know, looking at their friends, like you're not singing. Well, and you're yeah. not singing. Oh, and there's, you know, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. And then all of a sudden they're supposed to sing again and they don't know <laughs> what, where they are. And you're like, oh, okay, let's try that again. <laughs> Hilarious. So I like to do a little pre-step like to a game like that, which is asking a student just to start paying attention to listening to mm. music in their head. And so one of my fallbacks for that one is to ask them like, Think about the song that you know really well, probably. So the one I usually choose is Happy Birthday. Most people seem to know that one. And I I ask them to just like think about that song in your head. And you're like listening. I see you on the podcast video and you are doing it right now, aren't you? I'm totally doing it. (laughs) You just had that like, like, I'm hearing Happy Birthday in my head. I'm totally. (laughs) I do hear what you hear. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's really like, that's my favorite starting point to Mm -hmm. just be like, hey, this is a concept. You can actually hear stuff in your head. And Honestly, I have never had a student say, no, I can't hear it in my head. So if a student was like, no, I can't, I don't know what I would do, (laughs) but we'd continue doing stuff and start working on things to be like, what's going on and figure stuff out. Like maybe they just don't understand that they hear it. Like, yeah, whatever. Or maybe their concept of hearing is colors. I don't know. Could be, well, who knows, but it's a beginning of a discovery. Yeah, that, that, and that's true, right? Like the, when you're working with a young student or a new student doesn't have to be a young student. I mean, they are main, they might not be. I I mean, when I talk to Sean, you know, when we're listening to music in the car, he has a lifetime of experience with guitar. So when he's listening to a track, he's Mm -hmm. hearing. And in his brain, I asked him this, I said, what do you, when you hear this stuff, what do you, what do you see? And what do you hear in your brain? He goes, well, I see the fretboard. I know, uh, uh. he goes, I know where they're, I know where this chord is being played and I know the inversion that it's being played in. And I'm like, how do you know that? And he's like, I just see it in my head because I've played this instrument for so long. I do not relate to fretboards at all. And this is one of the things you were yeah. talking about, curse of knowledge. Like we often ask students to look at the piano when we're they're singing for us. If you're teaching in person, like that's not a reference point for a child that doesn't know the piano, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that would be, yeah, ex- that could be more exactly. confusing than actually helpful for, for a singer. Absolutely. Well, that like I'm such a believer in getting singers to use their hands whether Mm. it's hand signs or simply moving your hands up and down and around as needed because I mean I I firm firmly believe that all instruments require the use of our hands or something physical and singing is the only one I can think of that doesn't actually require your hand Mm -hmm. so I think we should use our hand because it helps us and so really just that concept of up down and I'm moving my hand up and down as I say that and just having that motion I think is 
people can see it when their hand moves up and down. Mm -hmm. It gives them a little reminder. It helps their body be like, oh, yes, I need to go up. I love it. I love using the hand. And of course, our dear Heidi, who both of us work with... in right. uh, as as a voice instructor over the years like she's delightful and she's like I can only sing well when I move my hand like this and she swishes no, her hand in the air and you're she right. sings beautifully she has and to move she her chuckles body about it but I love it well you know and that's that's you know we the way we want to express ourselves the way we want to move when we when we sing I I I, re- I do remember that and I think I've had many students like that asking and this is one of the things right you got that fidgety student you know that student that has to move all the time they're not doing that to piss you off that in my early years of teaching it used to drive me nuts I'd have that student that could not like stop fidgeting or moving but but I know better now that is how their body they have to move their bodies their brains are giving them a message and they have to do that and and I that's really interesting I wanted to circle back you know on the hand signs what's a really interesting thing and can help teachers a lot um, is when I do let's say I'm using hand signs uh, or without hand signs, it doesn't matter. And I wanted to sing a triad. Now, for me, visually and in my body, and again, this is hard for people that are listening to a podcast, but I'm doing uh, the tonic sofa hand so- sign. So I'm going, do, me, so. But the distance between my hand signs, like I'm going up, but I'm not like, that's my distance. And that's the that's the internalization and the visualization that I need. What's interesting is if I watch, say, my little Esther or uh, another one of my little singers, she she often has to go do, which is at her chest, me, which is at her eye level, and so is above her head. And it's and it's important for me to recognize that because that's how she is visualizing or internalizing or she needs to have that sound represented in her body. And it's interesting. And so when you are singing and signing and doing those types of exercises, really watch your students because what they are showing you is what they need. So if you try to correct that, you're actually making it harder for them because you're, you're asking them to do it more on their terms. Yes, um, absolutely. That's, I love it. Um, it does make me sidebar into the interesting adjustments we have to make as teachers when we teach online. Because even oh, yeah. like... I mean, I was taught dough is at my belly button. Low dough is at my belly button. Right. But I'm like, you can't see that I'm making my low dough sign <laughs> right, right now you're on, sitting. Our, on our video. Yeah. So my low dough is like now at my shoulder. Yeah. And it's just this kind of weird situation. So we, that might be an affecting thing for our online kitties in a way. Yeah, that that's We have true. to kind of trust that they're doing their low dough symbol or whatever. Make ours visual. I, You know what? That I never thought of that, but I always, I had to get my students to back up. Like when I did my small group class online and we were doing like little soulfish games, I'd be like, okay, everybody just take five steps back. I want to see like from your knees to your head in the screen. And then they would all do that. And then we would also draw. Oh, that's an excellent solution. You're so we- smart. <laughs> we would also draw like life-size treble clefs as part of our warm-up. So that was always fun. So we'd oh, start genius. We'd start with little finger treble clefs. Again, people can't see me doing this. We do little finger. So we're then it would yeah. be <laughs> then it would be hand. Then it would be your whole arm. Then yeah. it's two arms from the bottom, like from your feet up above your head. And that was and then we had to do it. <gasps> And then we had to do it this backwards. This is so fun. It I'm going to try fun. this with my adult choir on the weekend. I can't oh wait. I'm gosh. like, what? A figure travel club. Ah, what a great <laughs> idea. Um, I want to jump back to something else. Like, So going back to our inner hearing mm. stuff, like, and it ties in with movement. Um, you had mentioned the game that like Donna would do, right? Mm-hmm. So the sing and not sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of interesting because the distraction can also be a part of why they don't hear. It might not be an ear thing, like a listening thing. It's a distraction thing, right? You kind of mentioned that. And so when we were chatting earlier, you talked about physically mouthing the words as they go by, but not making sound as a way to keep the attention to the song 
right? So it's again, adding that little bit of physicality to it that helps us, helps our students like retain a bit of focus as they're going. And then they're more likely to come in with the music uh, well, in the game. When I, full disclosure, if I am singing something and I need like a little bit of help, um, like say it's a weird interval or something, um, not that this happens all the time, just putting that out there. Uh, and this is something that I teach my students. So when they were preparing for exams or we were practicing intervals, say you had to sing a perfect fifth. And maybe you have a song that's the perfect fifth. Maybe I like to use scales and triads and arpeggios as much as possible because then you don't have to memorize 400 song titles and what they sound like. That's a lot of work. But I always, and I don't know if somebody, I think this is one of my choir directors taught me this. If I have to jump a big interval, if I know what one of the intermediate notes are, to mouth it, not sing it, but mouth it, and then go to that note. So if I have a student that has to sing a perfect fifth, but they can sing a triad really well, you know, I'll say, okay, I want you to mouth, do, and then you would mouth and not sing me. And then so would be come out. And that that's really helpful. And then of course there's always the student that needs to sing the scale. Do me ba. So, right? Which is fine. Which is fine. Cause it that, is fine. It's a starting point and you'll get you'll get better at it as you go. Yeah. So I have so many experiences with my students. And this is going back to how to develop this skill. So mm -hmm. I like to be in it in a scale pattern. I'm assuming I'm working with kids that aren't necessarily doing their stepping notes yet, right? So even just working through like the full voice workbook exercises and they come across the skip, you know, we're finally like, oh, skips are starting to come. And I mean, I start out by asking them to completely drop rhythm from the equation, but to actually sing out loud all of those connecting notes, right? So if we have our me to so, you put the fa in there, me, fa, so. Um, and did I sing that? Me, fa, so. There we go. Sorry for everybody who's listening out there. <laughs> but um, like I asked them to sing those connecting notes and then we gradually take them out of there when they seem cool with the concept. And my goodness, it gives me the biggest joy ever when it's like someone who um, like a student I've worked with for a while who just starts naturally doing that and they naturally start to quiet those notes down, right? They're like, okay, I have to do this interval. Do, so, and you can hear them and then they're going to get there. They're going to get to the point where they don't have to physically make the sound anymore. So it's, it's, it happens. It does. It does. And you're right. It is so exciting when you, we see the light bulbs go on. You know, I want to, again, I want to go the step before that work is being able to sing the scale unaccompanied confidently. And that is often something that is something that, that I, I was bad for. And even, even when the pandemic happened and I went online and I realized, wow, I have been spoon feeding my students, although I thought that I wasn't allowing your students to sing unaccompanied. So you're not singing with them and friends, you're not playing that piano for them. I think, I think, I'm going to be bold here. I think a lot of teachers get really uncomfortable when they hear their students not singing in tune right away. The, the piano is a quick fix because I have students that if I play the piano, they will sing accurately and I will feel really good about myself. But I know that if I take that piano away, there's going to be some correcting. There's going to be some not quite in tune notes. And there's that inner hearing. They have to be able to hear... And I'm so proud. Little Esther, as she knows when she's not in tune. She's like, oh, wait, that wasn't right. And I love that. And she'll, and then she'll go back and she'll correct it. I mean, it took us years to get there. Years of, but, but she's there. And she's only. Yeah. And how old is she now? She's 11, Oops. right? Okay. So now she's 11. So this is something that you began working on her when she was maybe seven-ish. She was in my, yep. She was in my small group classes when she was yeah. seven going on eight. Okay. So how amazing is that for a trajectory for this youngster who's mm -hmm. working on music? Right. So she's learned it while she was a small child. Now she's getting to that age where she's much more likely to maybe be in school musicals. She's going to reach yep. high school in a few years. Yep. And 
she's going to like be in all the choirs. I mean, if she wants to do these things, but she's going to be like, she's going to have the skills to be great in her choir and be great in her vocal class and be great in her school musical. And then just like carry those things on. And they're just, they're just in her. That's amazing. She doesn't have to struggle with them as like a 17 year old to 25 year old. And then like never really dive into music in the way and always wish, you know, this is amazing. You know, that, that brings me back to one of the, one of the Solfege studies in the Songs and Studies for Kids Introductory B, it's called Pizza Dough. And uh, it, that, that's the exercise. It's an internal, it's, a, it's an audition exercise. And it's basically the game is stop and, stop and uh, what do you call it? Stop and dough. <laughs> that's what you call it. That's right. It. So you start by singing the scale. Do, re, so do, re, mi, fa. And then somebody says stop. And wherever you stop, you have to then remember where do was. So you have to go back and sing the tonic note. And I've tried that with a few of my students. And we we did that actually with um, with the small group class too. And that, oh, you can see they're concentrating, right? Like that, if engagement 101, like the excitement of waiting for somebody to say stop. And then you let one of the kids be the person that says stop. And then, of course, you have the kid that just never says stop, and they they just Ah! keep going up and up and up. But Oh, um, my goodness. Did you have a plan for, do you have to go up and back down, or you just keep going, well, that was funny. I think that's what my kiddo wanted to happen. So after... After they didn't say stop, I said, okay, hang on, hang on. All right. They don't have to say stop, but whoever's singing the scale has to come back down. Okay, cool. Right? Yeah. So my goodness, kids, if there's a way to like make trouble, they'll do it. It's totally true. They were like, mm, I, these are the rules. I'm going to break them. But it, they actually they actually ended up making it more of a challenge. So, because, mm. so, you know, the person singing the scale, do, re, mi, fa, has to pay attention. They're anticipating the stop, but they have to pay attention and listen to that scale coming up and coming down. It actually Uh made the exercise a little more challenging, which was really cool. And of course, all the kids wanted to take, have their turn at being the person that says stop. And then of course, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then we did. I have another question about Mm -hmm. that experience. Um, How did you find people adapted around uh, the pitch of the whatever tonality shifting a little. I'm I'm sure it probably happened. You probably dough was not always the exact same dough the whole time. Yes. How did you deal around with that? Well, actually, the, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So there was a couple of things that happened, and this is where this is where teachers have to be flexible and be able to kind of roll with some improvisation when things don't go your way. So the first thing that happened was. Uh, my first little student wasn't able to sing the scale in tune, mostly because she was nervous because she was waiting for somebody to stop because this isn't a student that usually has problems with intonation and pitch. Mm-hmm. So then what yeah. I said is I said, okay, you know what? Um, let, let's slow it down. So I had to set a tempo, <laughs> right? Cause uh-huh. they're going to want to go too fast. So we had to correct the tempo and I had to snap a tempo. I said, you're not allowed to go any faster than this. Man, and I just love it. They think they're trying to make it easier. They're like, I'm going to find a way to make it easy, but they end up like fast will be easy. And I'm like, no. Oh my goodness. No, that, that was the first thing that they wanted to do was go sing the scale very, very fast. So we had to fix the tempo. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I was teaching this in person, so my classes are online. If I was teaching this in person, I would have had the group of singers sing the scale together. So everybody in the class singing the do, re, mi, fa, so. And then I would have said, I would have asked for a volunteer to sing the do note. So the volunteer is the one that's going to sing. So then they would have the the support of their peers going up. What I would not do is play the piano with them because I, I want them to really listen. It was a really good uh, exercise. 
And again, that inner hearing and that focus and concentration, because you really do have to focus if you're listening and having to remember where the tonic note is. That's a common game that I play with my um, private students, which is the follow the hand with the solfege cards on the wall. That's another, Uh, that's another ear training exercise. I'm not singing with them. I'm not playing the piano Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, we start by singing the scale and the student finds a key that is comfortable for them. And then they have to follow the hand and we do repeated notes. And then I play a game called Remember Do, which is we'll go away from the tonic and we'll do a whole bunch of crazy patterns, but then I come back to that Do. So that's another really great game yeah. for that that finding oh. relative pitch. Yeah. Well, and then going back to like the solfa games, another good one too with youngsters is singing back and forth the scale. Mm. You know, the student sings Do, the teacher or the partner sings Re, you know, and you just go back and forth. And that's really cool because they get to hear it, but not make the sound. Mm. And then when I do it with my kitties, usually I do this as an introduction to singing uh, skips. Right. Um, And so I just like gradually sing my note quieter and quieter. And then I'm like just pretending to sing my note. And it's a a lot of fun. Oh, I like that. I used to do Mm. something like that, but I would throw a ball. Oh, so, so we had this, it was a soft ball <laughs> yeah, and it would just be a gentle toss. That was something that we had so to back ass- and forth between yeah. the two people. So like you would sing a scale, but you sing your note as you catch the ball. Oh, well, that's a super fun game. You put that in the full group and everything and you go around in circles right. and pass it around. Oh my goodness. Endless yeah. fun. Yeah. Endless fun. Next time we hang out, can we play that game? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you and me and Sean and Heidi. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I guess. We I could. mean, it can only be more fun with wine, right? <laughs> <laughs> that might And be... we'll turn it into like bebop scales. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <sighs> now you were telling me about, you were working with your adult choir and um, mm-hmm. you had a, a, a singer ask, you know, I'm having a hard time hearing that pitch. And you said that you have kind of like three, three go-to strategies to yeah. help singers in choral. Because, I mean, you're doing pretty, pretty intense jazz harmonies. So they can be tricky. Correct. They can. So I'm going to sidebar and say, in my own experience, here's here's one of the places where I've consciously had to do my own techniques many times. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've sung with a big band quite a lot. And one of the common features in big band arrangements, this is like old-timey big band jazz, is the band plays a chorus in one key, and there's a sudden key change when the vocalist oh, enters. yes. And like, sudden key change, not even four bars, come on. So it's very common. And so... That like this one, most of the time I would use technique number one, which is use the scale, which we've already talked about. And all of our simple games we've been discussing really have a lot to do with using the scale mm-hmm. for inner audition. So I, you know, I have the knowledge of my, our charts to be like, okay, I know that this part is an E flat and then it changes to F. So I'm coming in on the third, the melody notes, the third, so I can, I, it's kind of neat. It's fun to flip around in my brain. I'll either be like, do, re, mi, and I'll be like holding on to my third as the one key is finishing. Mm-hmm. And then I, we switch keys and I go up a whole tone. And I'm like, now oh, I'm on my note. Or I can be sitting there going, I know it's the sharp 11 as I'm singing in this key. And I'll be like, do, 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 quietly to myself off mic, do, ba, do, ba, 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 do. And then I come in on my note. Right? So like that's entirely using a scale situation. Um, so that's the first one I typically advise to my students. However, many students don't know their scales well enough to know precisely what's happening. Because I mean, if I'm going from one key to another, I might not be just going from the do to some, some note in the scale. I might actually be singing the law and then going to like a, I don't know, a flat three. And you're just right. like, oh, it's just, there's, it just <laughs> requires a lot of knowledge right. about scales to really know what's happening. And at that right? point, when I have charts like that, I always look at who wrote the damn chart. And I'm like, who <laughs> wrote this? Like, who was doing that? Did they hate singers? <laughs> Why would you do That's that? That's right. <laughs> ah. Okay, so then that leads me to sort of technique number two. And like people know about, but do we actually use it? teachers use it 
do our students and choristers use it is the next question. Uh, and that's actually using your interval songs. So, you know, perfect fourth, uh, pretty much almost all the time in, in my actual experience. If it's a perfect fourth, I'm using uh, Here Comes the Bride mid-song. I'm like, here comes the bride. Like that's my inaudition for fourth. But if it's like a third, it's always like a scale. Or, you know, six six and fourths to me are like, those ones get me. Those are the ones that I'm like, oh, I miss those. If I'm not in a scale mindset to start with. Now, this is just my brain. Remember, curse of knowledge, blah, blah, blah. That's that's where I am. So if I'm kind of losing my sense of like scale, then I, I quickly jump to those things. Oh, I guess I use twinkle, twinkle, little star. It hells a lot too. Twinkle, twinkle. I'm all into those three. Yeah. And like a seventh is easy because it's just under an octave. Right. So it's like it's seventh, I was about to say. In, in some of the harder arrangements I one of the strategies that I will do is I will look if there's accompaniment I will or I will look at the other parts and I will try to find when they play that or sing that and then I try to think of that note so I hear that note and then I try to like think about that note think about that note think about that note and and I tap my head and I'm like, there's the note. It's going to be like, it's going to be the best note. And I try, so I've done that where I've found it in the piano score and I've, I've tried to identify. Now, this is another weird one for me. Oh, hold it. I just have to say, Nikki, that was in fact techni- technique number three on my list. Oh, was it? Oh, I'm yes, sorry. Yes, relate it to what? another note that was recently there. No, oh, it's okay. Okay, okay. We can, we can share, we can share our techniques. Yeah. <laughs> that Now, Here's another one. This is a little weird. So, and it's weird now because because my voice has changed quite a bit. But I would, if I knew that the note was like, I would relate the note to where it would be in my register and close or not close to my register break. Yeah, totally. So it's like, because, you know, G, A is like right where my break is. So if I'm desperate, it's like, I'm just going to sing that note that almost breaks. And then that's probably accurate. Oh, man, I love it. You know what? That's a great technique, too. Like, I 100% use that with my with my students, right? Especially, like, many of our very young students, uh, the high notes is a new concept for them. Getting out of their speaking voice and getting into that higher voice. And my action for the high voice, the one I always use, is tapping the very tippity top of my head. Basically where my like ponytail would be at the top of my head. I'm always tap, 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 tap to help. That's my little reminder cue for them. Um, the alternative being, who cares what actual scale degree it is? I make a nice high do symbol. And I throw <laughs> my hand up in the air and I'm like, high do and they they think high dough. Regardless of the key, I recognize there's a little discrepancy, but I'm like, ah, they don't know enough yet to know that it's not high dough and it's fine. Well, you're uh, just, again, it's... Those it's who complain about that. <laughs> you're trying to get the energy just to get them up there. Yeah, I, exactly. I can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, with adults where the requirement to sing low becomes more common, mm. that's where we end up, you get the... the the tapping on the chest, you're like, bring it down, bring yeah. it on down there. And it's interesting too, because when it really depends on the student, because um, I have had some adults who are singing a little bit lower and like finding those notes, right, is really challenging. So I always would ask them, you know, um, how, are, like, what are the sensations? Where do you feel this? What, you know, what do you feel in your body? Because it was always different and, and, um, there was always, and you know, every once in a while, and I'm not throwing shade in any way, every once in a while you get that student where it's really hard for you to connect with them because they're just experiencing music so differently and you've pulled out everything in your toolbox and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And the only thing I can say that I have done with students like that, and this is not just children, but with adults, I've had a few adults that have just really struggled with pitch and, and, and finding pitches is I've gone right back to the very beginning to vocal exploration and gliding and sliding through the range just to get that awareness, like, and have those conversations. Cause it, I, I would never say this to a student, but I, I just don't know where you're coming from. Like I'm really, <laughs> I don't know how. Well, that's real. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like, I've definitely had those experiences too. And those are not the, like, I look back on those students with a little bit of, um, like knowing I, I tried as best as I could, but hoping that they found the answers, you know, right. like I'm happy to say there's no one I'm working with right at the moment who's mystifying me, but uh, mm. it's, uh, it, it does, it is a little sore spot in my memory of being like, there's a singer out there who just like needs something that I just didn't have to give. Right, yeah. We have to be kind to ourselves and know that we are not everything and everyone to everybody, but uh a good shout out uh, to our young uh, voice teachers for young singers, the Facebook group. A lot of great questions go out there. And it's like, I read through some of those and I'm always mystified because someone will be like, okay, here's the little issue. Here's what I've tried. I'm like, well, I'm out of ideas. I'm like, y'all are trying all the things I would choose. But then yeah. there's still just so many people that chime in yeah. with just other ways, right? And yep. isn't that a beautiful thing? I know. And you know, that that is, uh, I do want to shout out to our group. I think... Um, uh, and shout out to Dana, who who moderates with me. You know, Facebook groups and online forums are not, you know, inherently safe spaces because you get people in there that can say unkind things or, or maybe people that are just typing in haste that say mm -hmm. things that can be read the wrong way. And I have to say, the our group does a very good job of being respectful. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of participation in our group because mm -hmm. of that. And yeah. uh, I, I really appreciate that. And and yeah, there's some great ideas and things that I was yeah. like, hmm, I've never tried that. I'd like to try that. And Absolutely. I do a lot of screen grabs from from that. When I'm like looking on my phone, I'm always like, this is a great idea. Click. Mm -hmm. And then someday yeah. when I import all my photos, I go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Now, um, Going back to the little ones, uh, so that developing that inner hearing, the other, the other, I have a little video of, and I was watching it the other day, um, cause we are, we are working on the full voice, happy singing teacher online course. So we're collecting all our videos of, of all our kiddos. So I have this, this video of me working with my small group class. So their age is probably eight, eight, seven to eight. And we're mm -hmm. singing the Pizza Hut song, which is gold, friends. Um, mm -hmm. It is gold. And we do the inner listening. But mm -hmm. what's keeping them going is the gestures. Ha-ha. So, so they don't stop thinking about the song and start thinking about, like, what shoes they're going to oh, wear exactly. at school. Exactly. And and that was, that was I think, I got a shout out to Donna. I think that was one of Donna's suggestions. She's like, make sure that they're doing the gestures because that helps to keep them focused, right? Because it's in their body. So, like, we're singing, you know, we sing the first verse, a pizza hut. And I know people can't see me, but you make a little circle with your hand for the pizza. And then you put a little hat over your head for a hut, right? So a pizza hut a pizza hut and then you do the chicken wings kentucky fried chicken and a pizza hut and then you do that and you say you're going to do the gestures but you're not going to sing the words and you are going to like listen to the melody in your head that you would be singing and we had to start because this is one of my first classes that I had with these singers and they were all very, very new and all very, very shy. So the first time we sang it very quietly. So we sang it like super, super quiet. We still did the gestures. And then the, 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 the last time when we got really confident with it, then we, we didn't sing it and we just did the gestures. Now, what's interesting is that some of those kids were still looking around to make sure that the other kids were doing the right gestures. But that was like the first run at it. That's the first time we had ever done it. So like you can see that skill coming in, getting more solidified, being more confident, knowing what is expected of them and that inner audition man that's a hard skill you know yeah, for a yeah. little person so the, you know it's kind of neat I'm like musing back to when I was a child just a scant 20 years ago or so <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm much older than that <laughs> um and and remembering like going to camps and stuff and the different songs that we would do and another a big one was the bingo song remember when you do the class yes 
I-N-G-O. It's like all into that. And there's just, it's just so fun. It's fun to think about those, those camp counselors. Yeah. The camp songs, you know, camp songs are so huge. And we talked about, I talked to Donna, we had our podcast about rounds and cannons. And when I think back to some of the like core memories of singing, it's those camp songs and rounds and those simple songs and hearing other voices and, and just that, that just relaxed, happy singing where you were focusing on the song and you didn't have a lot of other things to worry about. Like those are like core memories. Like I remember singing fires burning with the girl guides right? You sang that at the end of every meeting and, you know, we would do it as a round and you was in a gymnasium and it sounded amazing, you know, and my, 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 uh, I think, what is she called? The gray owl was, was the, the teacher or the mom that was the, the leader that she would have like a candle burning. That was huge. Right. <laughs> but, and then, and then just simple rounds, like those listening that listening to other voices, singing in the rounds, hearing those basic, you know, triads, those harmonies, that's all so important. And uh, being able to just sing that. Yeah, that actually makes me think about the forest adventure study (gasps) that's in the book B. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you mentioned it earlier, but what's kind of neat about that one is it's not a song per se, but it's little two-bar snippets of melodies mm-hmm. and they don't all start on do. Yes. And so that's a whole nother inner audition challenge for the students is to be able to um, like find that starting note. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we're not being judgy about the accuracy of that finding, but getting the recognition that they don't all start on this same note, yeah. like some of them are higher and lower. Yeah. And what's the, what's the, the hot new addition? Right. So <laughs> let, I'm going to set that up. So for people that haven't yet purchased the book. So in Songs and Studies, Introductory B, we wanted to explore inner audition as well as composing your own songs. And there's a whole bunch of other things you can do. So composing the Forest Song Adventures is little two-bar fragments. Or no, Oh, I just opened the book. One bar. One bar fragments. So... And each one has a picture of an animal. So the first picture is grizzly bear, and it's just a grizzly bear, and you've got, you know, doe, doe, doe. But then you have, you know, owl in a tree, which is a five-note scale. And then you have chipmunk running everywhere, which is a descending five-note scale. So the kids learn all of these little fragments. And then once they're really confident... You, the, that's when the fun begins. So the activities are, you know, have your teacher point to the different animals and can you sing that animal melody for your teacher? And we tested this. They can and they love it. And Christine from Alaska told me that it blew the kids' minds that they could actually move the order of the animals around and create their own song. And shout out to Christine. She did a recital with her students and in her group, they were six and seven. So these are littles, right? And she told the audience that the kids were going to compose a song for the audience right there. And she had the pictures of the, of the animals and the kids organized the pictures of the animals. And then they performed all together their forest song for the audience and the audience went wild. so So that, that kind of creative play and and that type of exploration, kids love that type of freedom and that creativity, that that having choice, right? Having those choices. And uh, one of the exercises that I've been doing, again, speaking of internal hearing, is so my little student, Esther, who is 11, so she's a little bit older, but she loved this. So I said we were learning about um, uh, ostinati, parts. Ah, Right. Mm -hmm. So I said to Esther, I said, I'm going to take my phone now I'm online. So I took my phone. I went to my recorder and I sang 
a little chickadee. And I repeated it over and over and over again. I did like a minute of little chickadee, little chickadee, little chickadee. And then I emailed it to her right away. She, because uh-huh. she has her iPad, she played the track. So she's got me singing Little Chickadee. Mm-hmm. And then she came up and sang. I said, You can pick whatever other animal you want. You can sing over top of my Little Chickadee. Now, it did take a couple of tries for her to kind of get used to hearing my part. So this is harmony singing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But man, she got it. And then she played that with her friends. So she had two of her friends come over. And then, you know, one of them was like Owl in the Tree. And one of them was the, the, um, uh, was it Grave Furry Wolf? Big Grave Furry Uh, Wolf. Okay. Yep. We had to we had to think about uh, we didn't want hungry wolf. Christine said no <laughs> to the hungry wolf. Being in Alaska Curry is really nice. Yeah. And then anyhow, so that inner hearing of hearing that low harmony and then singing thirds and fifths above that. That was a real challenge in the beginning, but now she's so good at it. Her her tuning is so much more accurate. Now she still goes off every once in a while. That is a super fun way. And I mean, if for those of you who maybe aren't using the songs and studies for kids, that's the same exercise with the pumpkin spice song. Yeah. Which is a freebie on our website. Yeah. So the pumpkin spice song has the same type of pedal tone melody for singers that are just getting started. And then it has the other melodies that are a little more challenging. It's the same type of exercise. Yeah. Man. Oh, I'm getting so excited. I know. <laughs> I can't wait to do forest adventures. <laughs> Mim, thank you so, so much. I love talking to you. And just for our guests, this is this is the conversations that the whole team in Full Voice has all the time. Sometimes we call Donna and she gets in on the conversations, but this type of of Testing resources, seeing what the kids like, you know, working with them, you know, watching how they light up or don't. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is what we do at Full Voice. So, songs and studies intro B is finally arrived. Um, what is your favorite song? Ooh, I mean, Ooh. we love. I know. I just ah. put you on the spot. We love all okay. our composers. Yeah. Oh, I like cannot make a decision, but I love things about all of them. Okay. Um, like seriously, I don't know. I think I'd have to say something unique about each. Okay. If I'm going to make a shout out, this is entirely based on um, the fact that I have a relatively new hobby and that hobby is surfing. And now I want to go down to Mexico and Costa Rica and other places as often as I can to surf. And I need to brush up on my Spanish. And because of one of our songs in the book, I know how to talk about little baby chicks, los pollitos. And I like get to, I like that song goes through my head nonstop Mm. just because of the words and the cute little melody and everything. So we have a, yeah. It is. It's so cute. So we have the little folk song. So that's Los Linda. Pollitos. Linda Fletcher did a sweet little arrangement of Los Poyitos, and it is really, it is really cute. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I have to do another like little personal shout out story, which is when I was surfing in Costa Rica like a year ago. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm very lucky to have been able to to do that. Um, it was while we were just starting to work on this book mm. and the song Quaka Smiles and Crocodiles. Oh, and yes. Like, I was in crocodile land, right? And I was always out on my surfboard singing, when I see a quaka smile, I want to smile too. Here's a good one. <laughs> and when I see a crocodile, I don't know what to do. And then there was the day that there was actually a crocodile oh, in the water where the surfers were. And so like everyone got out of the water and just like followed the crocodile. And was, oh, high drama. So, I mean, <laughs> the other songs are great too, but these two are like my lived experience. Oh, I love it. So, okay. Like I really identify with them and I'm thinking about performing them in the next recital. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I love all the songs and I agree. It's hard. I have to shout out, uh, Ben Bowen, uh, here comes the train. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, here comes the train. Now it's a tricky one because like the the accompaniment's a little syncopated, but um, there's just like there's just something really sweet about Ben's writing and his songs, uh, like the um, "Waiting for the Moon." I love and when winter and and so many young singers are really enjoying his stuff. So I'm so thrilled that we could put one of his songs in intro B. Um, I think Mim because mm-hmm. Mim transcribed that from Ben's guitar playing so mim i think you've done a beautiful job with the piano part on that so kudos Aww, to you thank you so much and i i have thank to you. um i have to shout out uh donna rodenizer we did put in wolf in the forest in this level and that is by far like that is one of the my kids love that song my kids love that song mm-hmm. and evil voice teacher nikki used it for a vowel modification exercise although i didn't tell the children that we worked on different vowel sounds and really you getting didn't i huh. didn't i was like you guys are great hey i wonder <laughs> what that wolf howl would look like if we did this but it it's a there's just uh-huh. so many great things and um uh, of course, Glynn's music. Um, Glynn uh, has the Quaka smiles and crocodiles, but also Be Kind. Like the lyrics <gasps> oh, in that are just every really time I sweet. look at this tune. Yeah. 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 So, so Donna Rodenizer's uh, Wolf in the Forest is a hit. It has been a hit for Plus a while. Two new Donna songs yeah. that have never been released. Yes. So, not their full voice. Um, no. But yeah, two brand new ones that are both awesome. Yeah. So if you haven't, uh, if you want more information about the songs and studies, so um, just generally uh, speaking, our goal with songs and studies for kids was to offer a resource for your singers that are just getting started. They're not ready for the big eight page Disney monstrosities or the 20 page musical theater numbers, or you don't want to talk about Bruno. This book is for those littles that are just getting started (laughs) and it really celebrates where they are at. So this is, this is our, our motivation behind them. Introductory a we released last year and introductory B, um, expands on the concepts. And I do want to say the difference between A and B is that B has the songs are longer and they have uh, a more, uh, they have different forms. Like the, the songs in, in intro A were often like a repeated A section. The songs in B have like an ABA type. They're longer, they're more complex and, and they just, they're just more challenging for a little singer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like when we were talking about which, like who these books are for, like the idea that when we get to B, the kids working in B, like maybe have a little bit more pitch concept. Yeah. Like absolutely. security developed over our intro A singers where it's like you, they're, they're really, really new. So like, obviously if you've done A, you, you're as a teacher, you'll know if your student is ready to move on to B. Um, but maybe you'll have that student too. That's just like quite good at mm. singing stuff. And so yeah. you might start them in B because it's, it's that little bit more challenging for them. Yeah. But then, of course, if uh, you have the PDF downloads of each, you just mix and match those exercises well, for whatever you, know, you want to do. Thank you for saying that because I know sometimes teachers often think it should be like a like page after page type of teaching. And I, I just want to say when, when it comes to lesson pacing and repertoire, like there are students in my studio that I would not give a language study to at this point. Agreed. And I have a student that I'm not... I'm not ready to give them something like here comes the train because I know the syncopation is not going to be their friend. Not yet. So like when you're choosing repertoire, it's not a this song and then this song and then this song. You want to get to know your students and you want to really, and also I truly believe this and we talk about this on the podcast and in our resources and on Instagram the challenge with repertoire is real. Finding good repertoire that you like, that has educational, foundational skills that you want to work on and that the student likes can be challenging. But I think it's important to know that if you have a song that a student is just not connecting with and they are not interested in, I don't think it's in their best interest to 
you know, make them sing that. If somebody doesn't want to tell that story, it's one thing as a professional singer, like if I'm hired, I'll sing whatever you tell me to sing. Mm -hmm. But for a little one, that's a big ask. So if you got to be, if you got to be picky and choosy and if you want to mix and match, yeah, I think that that's a great, that's a thoughtful thing for a teacher to do. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So Mim, um, what's next? What are you working on next? What's coming out next for you? Oh, uh, like in the full voice things or just yeah. me personally? Me, are you asking about surfing? No, I am not asking <laughs> um, about surfing on the full at voice? all. <laughs> <laughs> so for full voice, let's see. I think it's like we're about to dive into the next level in songs and studies. Yes. Um, working alongside Heidi with some new song download packages. So those will be individual songs. And then I think we've also got our eye on a little studies pack for seventh core. Yes, that's what I'm excited about. I have to say those are the upcoming things. We've got that jazz, a little jazz download with some studies. I cannot wait. Yeah. So that's, that's like, it's, it's about I'm about to start opening those files and reviewing the material from the past and updating it to how we choose to present it now. And uh, yeah, so that'd be cool. Awesome. Well, Mim, I want to thank you. Uh, I know you have to see me weekly in our regular Zoom meetings, but this was a fun conversation. Thank you so much. It sure was. And, uh, I'm and so I hope lucky that we get to have these conversations quite often. Yeah, you know? like it's so important to speak with your voice teacher colleagues yeah. because it is energizing and it feels good to. Come complain when you need to complain (laughs) and like mostly the energy factor so I can't recommend enough to voice teachers to remember to reach out to your colleagues and chit chat because it's fun yeah yeah I uh, I totally agree well uh thank you Mim and we will we will talk to you again soon on the podcast amazing thank you so much Nikki A very special thank you to my friend Mim for enduring yet another Zoom call with me talking about young singers. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And if you are interested in checking out the Songs and Studies for Kids series, you can find them on our website, fullvoicemusic.com, and on Amazon Worldwide. As always, myself and the team from Full Voice Music wish you inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you.